coming up this week on the Single Seater Space podcast. If they were to put in a good performance anywhere, you'd want it to be in front of the adoring Tifosi. This week's word is supreme. The champion, Alex Pillow, a drive that defined his season. Remember, you can find all of our content on our website, singleseaterspace.co.uk, and on our social media using the at singleseaterspace. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Single Seater Space podcast. After the Italian Grand Prix and the Bitnile.com Grand Prix of Portland, we have crowned a champion in Alex Pelot for the first time since 2007. The NTT IndyCar Series title has been won before the final race, as Alex Pelot now carries a 91-point lead into the season finale, which, of course, with maximum of 54 points being given out for the season finale, Alex Alex Pillow is a two-time champion winning his second title in the space of three years after an utterly dominant season and matched by a dominant performance in Portland. But we'll get on to the IndyCar after we have a chat about the Formula One. Max Verstappen broke the record for most consecutive Grand Prix victories in Formula One history, breaking Sebastian Vettel and Alberto Ascari's record of nine in a row. Taron, what did you think of the Italian Grand Prix. It was a reasonably good race, wasn't it? And a pleasantly surprising. Yeah, I liked the Italian Grand Prix this year. Um, that kind of mixture of will-to-will action, basically every, well, probably every single lap we saw some will-to-will action at some point, and the kind of adrenaline of seeing a Ferrari leading not just one lap around Monza, but I think we had 15 laps of Ferrari leading around the Italian Grand Prix. It was just beautiful to see. But yet again, on this episode of where we look into the thesaurus and find the word for Verstappen other than dominant, this week's word is supreme. And I think it's a word that describes Verstappen pretty perfectly yet again. It was supreme. He was not panicking at all when Carlos Sainz was leading. Um, he knew that he would get him at some point, whether it be Ferrari messing up a strategy a strategy call, or whether it be Carlos Sainz locking up into turn one, which was ultimately what happened. Um, yeah, not really much else to be said about Verstappen. Uh, now leads outright in terms of consecutive races won. And, um, well, f- his teammate, Sergio Perez for what seems like a millennia, has finished second place. It is just beautiful to see. Perez is has has made Red Bull have a 1-2 for the first time since I cannot remember. I, I can't remember the exact stats because it has just been a bit of a long time. Um, how did you think of that Red Bull 1-2, James? Well, yeah, I actually think Supreme is probably the best word to actually describe Max Verstappen this weekend because he looked completely unflappable. Um, throughout, you know, he didn't get pole position, fine, we'll get him in the race, and then didn't lead at the end of lap one, fine, we'll do it over the course of uh, the 305 kilometres of the Italian Grand Prix, and yeah, in the end, his pressure was just too much for Carlos Sainz, who locked up into the first corner and then allowed Max Verstappen through, and I mean, he was just so in control. Um, he he didn't he didn't have to force anything. He even he even backed out of an overtake, which was almost identical to the one that sent him over the top of Lewis Hamilton in 2021. So, you know, I think obviously having less pressure on himself to get past the uh, Ferrari, whereas at that moment with Lewis Hamilton is 
almost incomparable because that was a, a once, it was a now or never. And uh, yeah, Martin Brundle described it as a tactical foul. Um, but, you know, so he was just, he was completely in control. Um, there was there was no problems, and yeah, and then for Ferrari being consigned to third and fourth after they were he was they were both passed by Sergio Perez. Perez put in a reasonably good performance. I mean, he started fifth, had to work his way up past George Russell. That took a little bit of time, and then got past both Ferraris. Um, but yeah, Perez. I mean, a, a reasonably strong result for him, and uh, you know that's that's what we should be expecting now every weekend. We can't really be praising him for the bare minimum, but um, you know we expect we expect that from him every weekend. So. I guess we move on to the two Ferraris. Um, they didn't get the win, but I, you'd have, you have to say they provided a great show and um, warming to say that they put in their best performance of the season at their home track. Definitely. You could see Ferrari chucking everything at it. Even if it was just for one podium position, they were chucking everything at it for the Tifosi. And, well, they did exactly that. Carlos Sainz defended monstrously. His, his defence against Max Verstappen, then Sergio Perez, then his own teammate for all of 51 laps was utterly ridiculous. He was just positioning his car perfectly every single time. And I think this was brilliant for Carlos. He had a brilliant weekend in general. His birthday weekend had a good Friday, got pole position on Saturday, finished it with a podium. And I th Carlos Sainz's mum, I think, went on to Twitter afterwards um, saying the word honour or something like that. And um, saying that he just had himself, had himself above Charles Leclerc before Leclerc tweeted the picture of his win at Monza in 2019. It was pretty funny to see the mums battling it out on Twitter. But, you know, this is just stuff that you'd love to see in our F1 world at the moment. But Charles Leclerc, on the final lap, gave us... Gave Ferrari possibly the biggest Code Brown moment you'll ever see. How they didn't collide after he locked up into turn one, I do not know. It was unbelievable. Like, Charles literally almost cost the Tafosi a home podium. And I think um, it wouldn't have been his, it wouldn't have been Carlos Sainz's watch stolen after the race. That did happen and Carlos did retrieve it. It would have been Charles Leclerc. It's the only race he won on Italy that weekend, Carlos Sainz. Yeah, yeah. Um, Carlos Sainz managed to win that foot race, I think it was, and uh, retrieve that stolen watch. But um, yeah, uh, Ryanair, I think, went on to Twitter afterwards stating that exact fact that that was the only race Carlos was going to win this year. Ryanair always seemed to provide drama on Twitter, whether it be saying... Um, uh, Mick Schumacher uh, with Logan Sargent after the Dutch Grand Prix saying, oh, you've got my seat there, sir. Um, any, anyhow, um, I'm sure you've got thoughts about Ferrari's P3 and P4 stealing P3 and the constructors off Aston Martin. Um, what were your thoughts about Ferrari's performance, James? If they were to put in a good performance anywhere with no strategical blunders and no slow pit stops and reasonably good race pace, you'd want it to be in front of the adoring Tifosi. And so, yeah, um, I think I think they did. I think it did a very good job with the equipment that they have this year. Obviously, it's nowhere near as fast as the Red Bull. They gambled putting on a really low downfall setup. And I mean, to an extent, it worked. They won on Saturday. They got the pole position, got third place, and then they fought hard on Sunday. It was it was always in a losing cause. But um, I think they did a reasonably good job. So we move on to the other few talking points then from the weekend. We'll get into um, uh, the whole, the Grand Prix as a whole a bit later. But George Russell finished a quiet fifth ahead of teammate Lewis Hamilton in sixth, who was penalised by a penalty 
um, penalised with, with a penalty for contact with Oscar Piastri, who managed to then break ahead five seconds of Alex Albon in seventh, meaning that he didn't relegate Hamilton anywhere down in the standings. Um, Taron's currently celebrating because, of course, more Alex Albon points for his beloved driver, but actually more key points for Williams in that battle for seventh in the constructors. We knew that they would have to capitalise on Monza because of just how their car works. Um, but that they def- they definitely did that. Um, Alex Albon picked up more crucial points, which moves them, I think, onto 21 now. Uh, quite a long way clear of their competitors. Yeah, definitely. Um, start with Mercedes first. It was a super, super scrappy day for Mercedes. Both drivers received five-second time penalties. George Russell cut the chicane after overtaking Esteban Ocon, I think it was, outside out of the pits. Um, as I've been had a really, really bad day in the office. It was not a good day in the office at all for them after qualifying had them both knocked down Q three, but had them both knocked down Q one, sorry. Um but yeah, anyway, uh yeah, Mercedes just had a really scrappy day and how they came away with P five and P six is just casual Mercedes, basically. This is how they finished P two in the constructors or even try to battle Ferrari for P two in the constructors last year. It is just unbelievable how they have possibly one of their worst weekends, I think it's fair to say. And they're still walking out of Monza with decent points. Head of Alex Albon, who defended like an under-9 defence team would when they're beating the under-10 team in their weekly football competition against the year above. And they're leading 3-2 with two minutes to go until the recreational ending bell goes. His defence was utterly unbelievable. Um, how he held on to P7, I don't know. But, um, you know, he, he he just positioned his Williams absolutely perfectly. And as much as we say, yes, this was Monza. This is the straight line speed. This, this is where it was. This was the meant to be the big points for Williams. Their tyre wear in high temperatures is shocking. And how he held on, I do not know. Um, but I think more to the point was Logan Sargent. Uh, where do we go with him? Um, qualified down in P15, I believe. Messed up his final lap in Q2 and then proceeded to get a five-second time penalty for contact with some driver. I, I can't remember what driver was he got a five-second penalty for contact with. Really, really messy. With... Valtteri Bottas, I think. Was it Bottas? Uh, it was either Bottas or Lawson. I think it was Valtteri Bottas. Yeah, um, well, well, we'll probably get onto Bottas later as he put in probably one of the best unseen drives ever. But yeah, Logan Sargent, again, really, really struggling in that Williams seat. And now, with Pelot having won his second title in IndyCar at only the age of 26... What do you think, James? Um, Logan Sargent really feeling the heat now as Williams head to races where they will struggle quite a lot at Singapore and Japan. Yeah, I mean, uh, he he's really, you know, the end of the year, the European season really should have been a turning point for him. The tracks that he knows, tracks that he's driven a lot in the junior formula. So to come away with zero points can't be heartening at all for him. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something that we've got to look at um, and assess. I'm sure Williams will be giving him as much time as possible as we talked about in the podcast last week. But to go back on to um, Alex Albon's defence and talk about the Grand Prix more as a whole, was the Grand Prix not better than other races that we've seen this season? Because, again, overtaking was more difficult. 
And so, as a result, it was more exciting. We had battles that lasted more than one DRS zone. We had drivers actually defending because they knew that they could stay ahead rather than defending for a corner and then knowing that they'd be blasted past, say, in a DRS zone in, like, Miami, where that DRS on the back stretch is incredibly powerful. The DRS in Monza is never powerful because every team runs such small wings anyway that it does. there's, there's, there's no real gain to... Um, to, to having the DRS open, it's only, it was only a few miles an hour, where compared to sometimes it's almost upwards of 12 or 15 miles an hour. So, yeah, I think I think I thought the race was actually good because, again, as we've talked about, racing is better when overtaking is more difficult. Of course, we love to see overtaking, but at the same time, overtaking for the sake of overtaking isn't fun. And, you know, we've emphasised this point so many times on the podcast, but I just think every time it becomes more and more, like, validated. There's You've got you to strike a balance. Um... So, yeah, I thought the race was good because overtaking was more difficult. What do you think? Yeah, I think at this rate on this podcast, James and I just sound like two parents complaining about their son's grade just being straight Bs all the time. Because F1 at the moment with overtaking, it's that fine balance between DRS being too strong and being too weak. That main straight in Monza, the DRS was the perfect length, I felt. Um, because, you know, yes... You had drivers, a.k.a. Sergio Perez, able to overtake if he was close enough to Carlos Sainz or Charles Leclerc. But it wasn't strong enough that it was a slam dunk pass every single time into turn one. Drivers had to really, really fight. And I think the main thing here was Monza turn one, with these cars being so big nowadays, making a turn into turn one is so difficult. We saw Verstappen count of an overtake into turn one and turn two. When have we ever seen that happen? Never. Because Verstappen literally just chucks it up the inside. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter where it is. But Verstappen, we saw him being mature, which is beautiful to see. I love seeing Verstappen showing mature overtaking. And his, and his general show in the race was fitting for a 10th consecutive race win. But I think another thing we saw, which was a very big talking point, was... At the end, at the end of um, Curve Grande into Turn Four and Turn Five, drivers moving in the braking zone. So, and that that happened several times, whether it be the two Ferraris on each other, whether it be a, a Ferrari on a Red Bull, whether it be a Mercedes on a McLaren. We saw that several times into this weekend, one of which ended in a five-second time penalty for Lewis Hamilton, but. I feel like, again, the consistency by the FIA here, don't punish the consequence, punish the action. Yes, Lewis Hamilton received a five-second time penalty, and it was actually pretty deserved. I did feel that he deserved a five-second time penalty on the day. But if you're giving him a five-second time penalty just because he's crashed Oscar Piastri out of the points, where's the consistency in the fact that either Ferraris weren't penalised or Perez wasn't penalised or something like that? That uh, I'm just I'm just feeling consistent. Consistency wasn't there. Um, I do feel like I'm complaining about the FIA yet again on this podcast, which feels like the billionth time. Um, I will go to you, James, because you'll probably have a more rational view than I do. <laughs> what were your thoughts about the FIA's consistency on that moving into the braking zone at turn four? Well, it's difficult because, I mean, only one of them actually resulted in contact and two drivers hitting each other. So there are some cases of, oh, yeah, forcing another driver off the track, which didn't result in penalties. But, I mean, the one that Hamilton was given a penalty for was for causing a collision. And to be fair, 
did hit Oscar Piastri and it did result in some significant damage for the Australian driver. And then Oscar Piastri actually got penalised afterwards for a completely separate incident after coming out the pits, which was... Uh, um, which was, you know, disappointing for the Australian rookie. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's such a narrow corner that it's very difficult to run side by side. And although cars want to run side by side there, it's literally impossible. I mean, Sebastian Vettel found out the hard way what happens if you try and run side by side through there in 2018 as he ended up spinning around him killing any fading hopes that he had of winning the title in the first place in that season. So it's a narrow corner. Um, yeah, you can see racing incidents happening. Um, and yeah, slightly slightly disappointing for Oscar Piastri, but I think and I think it did warrant a penalty from Lewis Hamilton. So the last driver to talk about, or the last couple of bits of pieces to talk about, one is the shocker that Alpine had from the highs of Zandvoort with a podium to the lows of getting zero points for this weekend. Um, which is a disaster for them. Um, they really struggled over the course of the weekend. They got zero points. Um, and, you know, after going from a, a brilliant team performance in uh, in Zandvoort to getting nothing, really shows the the, the disparity of, um, uh, of Formula One, the, the highs and the lows, the agony and the ecstasy. And uh, Valtteri Bottas picked up a key point for Alfa Romeo, perhaps... If the gap to Williams is too big now um, for Haas, Alfa Romeo and uh, Alfa Tariq to overcome, they've got to battle it out for eighth because every single position in the Constructors' Championship is now so valuable um, that, you know, they, they've got to be battling for everything. And one point could make all the difference in such a tight scrap. So, yeah, Bottas did a very good job, wouldn't you say? Yeah, Valtteri Bottas did. Potentially the drive of his season so far. And to be honest, I don't think points were on the cars for Alfa Romeo at all. You know, they were not particularly fast all weekend, but they turn up with that livery. Uh, their livery. Can you just, Alfa Romeo, keep that livery for the whole season, please? Because that livery looked so, so good. Uh, I'm sure James will be nodding his head at me. That livery looks so, so slick and sick on that Alfa Romeo. Um, but yeah, Alpine, really, really shocking day. I've always thought that this would be a race that they struggled at, considering the fact that their, their straight line speed isn't exactly the best. And I think it's fair to say that. Um, but yet again, Ocon DNF'd. I think everyone looked at the timesheets and saw Esteban Ocon DNF'd. And we were just thinking, what? what? When, when did that happen? Where did it happen? How did that happen? Um, supposedly he had, he had an engine issue, apparently. Um... Not really much else to say about Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly. Uh, we only saw them on lap one, touching wheels. Uh, we, we saw some French civil war happening yet again in 2023. Um, but yeah, anyhow, I want to talk about the man who finished in P11. Liam Lawson. I'm going to say it. Can he just... AlphaTauri, Rebel Management. Keep this guy in the seat in, in the AlphaTauri seat for the rest of the 2023 season and the 2024 season. He is providing some brilliant, brilliant pace at the moment for AlphaTauri, um, especially after Yuki Tsunoda DN, DN, DNS'd even after his engine issue on the formation lap. Um, it was always going to be a difficult day for AlphaTauri. P11 in his first full F1 weekend. This kid is already pleasing us. Um, he's, he's impressed us so far, and I just want to see more of it. Um, James, uh, any thoughts about Liam Lawson's weekend? Um, yeah, I mean, Daniel Ricciardo won't be here, they say, until at least the Qatar Grand Prix now. So he's now got two more chances 
to uh, race. So he'll do Singapore, and then he will do Suzuka on a track where, you know, he's um, driven in the Super Formula, or he will be driving in the Super Formula at the end of the season. Um, so, you know, he's going to he's gonna feel like a rocket ship around Suzuka, uh, and then when he goes back in the Super Formula later this season, his car's going to feel 10% slower, and it's going to be a very different experience. But um, certainly, yeah, Liam Lawson is impressive. And, you know, you keep putting these performances in, the pressure mounts on all of the other Red Bull and Alfa Tauri drivers. That, I mean, Yuki Tsunoda had an issue this weekend, so he couldn't race. But, you know, the pressure just mounts a little bit just because Liam Lawson put in a good drive. And for Daniel Ricciardo, the pressure when he comes back just mounts a little bit more. So, you know, he's keeping everybody honest and he's doing a very good job. And, um, yeah, Liam Lawson certainly is one to keep an eye on after a brilliant 11th place finish in uh, Monza. So if we move on now from... uh, Formula 1 to IndyCar, and we crowned a champion this weekend as Alex Pelot dominated the Bitnard.com Grand Prix of Portland to take victory. He only needed to finish in the podium positions to secure the championship this weekend, but he told Chip Ganassi in the morning he was going to seal it with a win, and by the evening, that's exactly what had happened. A dominant performance, um, never looked in doubt after his strategy of starting on the harder black tyres worked better than the front row of McLaughlin and Ray Hall who had to start on the red tyres. Pelot's strategy worked a treat. He ended up in the lead and always looked comfortable. Behind Pelot came Felix Rosenquist in second, Scott Dixon in third who was irked by race control who allowed Rosenquist to get past after they didn't throw the caution straight away for Canapino spins with a bit to talk about there. Pato Award missed out on the podium for the first time in a while. He's still not hit the top step but he wasn't even on it at all this weekend as uh Joseph Newgarden recovered to fifth after a qualifying crash. VK put in his best performance of the season to finish sixth. Marcus Ericsson was caught up in a load of incidents and somehow finished seventh. So there's lots to talk about. Um, But we start off with the uh, championship leader champion now. Not even championship leader. The champion, Alex Pelot. Um, a A drive that defined his season. Dominant, faultless, perfectly pre- executed, precise and uh, never in doubt. I think you've summarised it perfectly, to be honest, James. Um, yeah, since since Laguna Seca last year, he won that Laguna Seca race last year by, I think, about half a minute. Um, and since then, he's never turned back. And he has gone on to dominate the pretty much the entirety of this 2023 season. Um, and to be honest, I don't think anyone else could have won that championship other than Alex Pelot. Scott Dixon, his teammate, did give it um, his his a, a chance. He gave it a little bit of a chance. Um, and again, you know, he's done a very Scott Dixon thing of uh, being consistent basically all year long. And another podium for him this season at Portland is very fitting. But, um, you know, if it wasn't, uh, I'm pretty sure you've, you've said this before, but if it wasn't for a driver who's done just a better Scott Dixon uh, consistency. Um, he he would be definitely in the championship fight, but no, uh, Alex Plo exists. Alex Plo is consistent. Alex Plo is quick, and um, he is definitely making F1 teams notice him if they hadn't noticed him before. And um, I think it would be incredible if he wasn't in the talk for an F1 drive next year. Um, I talked about that William C already being up for grabs and. Plo is definitely Chucky's name in the ring for that nowadays. Um, but that driver who finished in P2, McLaren yet again finished in P2 in the race. Always the bridesmaid, not the bride. Um, 
uh, I, I definitely think that this is basically something that defines McLaren's season as a whole. Yet to win a race in 2023, probably won't. Um, it seems that Chip Ganassi and Alex Play will dominate next week. Well, this week's race at Laguna Seca and our final round of the IndyCar 2023 Championship. Any words for McLaren, James? Uh, they lucked out definitely for that P2, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, they've always been fast, but they, their drivers have often been in the top 12 in qualifying. I read something that they talked about it on the broadcast in qualifying this weekend that Felix Rosenquist and Alex Rossi, I think, have both had 10 appearances in the Firestone Fast 12, but just two appearances in the Firestone Fast 6, whereas Pato Award has had 11 appearances in the Firestone Fast 12 and I think nine or 10 appearances in the Fast 6. So, look... That is very, very strong. They've had good pace at pretty much every type of course. But they've never had, the, like, the pace, you know? You could argue at the Indy 500, Pato Award would have won the race if he hadn't um, gone for a, a slightly um, over-enthusiastic move on lap, uh, was it 182 or something? So, you know, uh, it was, I mean, it was pretty, it was now or never time. But, um, you know, he, uh, uh, it, that they, they perhaps had the ultimate pace at the Indy 500. Um, Rosenquist cashed out. Award crashed out. Rossi finished fifth, I think. And so, you know, they 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 had they had speed. But of all the circuits, I mean, Award was you could say he was robbed at St. Petersburg as well with the uh, the engine failure. But even the little engine failure. But even then, I mean, Ericsson finished what three seconds ahead uh, after overtaking him on lap ninety eight of a hundred. So there was still there was more pace in the Chip Ganassi racing car, and he wasn't even dominant that day because of McLaughlin and. Um, Marman Grosjean. So, yeah, McLaren have always had good pace this season, but they've never had the ultimate pace. Actually, the more I think about it, Pato Award was robbed in Texas as well. Yeah, they've just been really unlucky, haven't they? Pato Award could easily have cha cha challenged for this title, mounting uh, a full a full season, but actually just things haven't materialized and I guess you know you can you could talk about one of those seasons, but really actually it's it's been quite unfortunate. Um they should win a race. An organisation like McLaren should not be not winning races, especially when you compare it to the fact that Andretti Autosports have had a pretty average season. They've won two races. They've got multiple pole positions. You look at Rahul Letterman-Lanigan racing. They have struggled all year, and yet they've won a race and got multiple pole positions. I mean, who'd have thought that Graham Rahul would have had two pole positions if you'd said that after he was bumped from the Indy 500? Would have been absolutely shocked, but um, yeah. So you know, it's it's been uh, it's been a tough season for McLaren, but um, you know, they they hopefully they'll look to wrap it up with a win at Laguna Seca because, in all honesty, if there's an organisation that deserves the win, um, it would be them. So we talk about the Portland Grand Prix a little bit, and um, we like to hit the FIA. We 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 like to bash the FIA, and often we have very good reason to. Um, IndyCar race control this weekend was slightly inconsistent the throwing of the yellow very late we can talk about because that's become a common theme and i really don't like it but also the um the blocking calls on elio castro neves was blocked by alex Pillow and not given a penalty and then Alexander Rossi was blocked by Marcus Ericsson, also not given a penalty. But we've seen blocking penalties like that given in the last 12 months or so. So it's almost like, where do you... Scott McLaughlin was penalised for blocking a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think either at the Indy Road Course or um, in Nashville. Where do you draw the line? Like, is it just, oh, Chip Ganassi racing driver? Nah, no blocking. 
Um, anybody else? Yep, that's to be a penalty. Because it's also happened with, uh, I think, Will Power should have been done for blocking a couple of weeks ago and then wasn't. And, uh, you know, again, it's just like, oh, the big team's penalty, the small team's... Uh, the big team's no penalty, the small team's penalty. Um, race Control had a bad day in the office, would you say? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, as much as, you know, we, we, we cheer our favourite drivers on, we want to see it done in the best way possible. And this weekend... It wasn't very good. It was the fact that Pelot's incident wasn't even sent for review. Indie directors, they, they noticed it. And they just kind of forgot about it within about five seconds. It was pretty unbelievable how they just flung that away immediately. When You would have probably seen that penalised most of the time, I think it's fair to say. And um, I definitely think Ericsson's thing on Rossi, oh, that wasn't penalised. Um, we saw quite a few incidents on that kind of back straight in Portland. Uh, we saw one with Kirkwood and RHR. We saw, we then saw that incident with Ericsson and Rossi, and the fact that those weren't reviewed um, was pretty incredible as a whole. Um, it's not it's not it's not really a common thing that we do having a go at indie race control, but we are doing it today. Um, and, you know, those yet late yellow calls, um, allowing drivers to all make a pit stop and execute that strategy, you know, you know, as much as it might seem slightly fair, the whole rule of not being able to hit under cautions until you're all stacked up, that's what makes IndyCar, to be honest with you, and that's why that rule was made in the first place, and, you know... If if you if you're allowing drivers to pit and then calling it and then allowing the caution to be flown immediately after they come out of the pit lane on cold tires when they basically would be a lot lot slower than if they were on warm tires we saw that a lot at Portland this weekend you know drivers found it so so easy to overtake in that kind of medium speed um, sector before the the last sector. Um, it was just, it just you, you lose so much time on those cold tires, and the fact that you were just allowed to run on those cold hard those cold tires without any penalty, um, it was very very unfair. And I think this is when we need to review your rules because if you're not if you're going to do that, you might as well just allow all drivers to pit under cautions because it would basically do the same thing. I think I've summarised my views of it. I'm sure you, possibly James, have some of your own views. Well, it's like, oh, well, it's not dangerous enough. A driver spun off the track, right? Canapino was actually in a reasonably dangerous spot as well. He was literally just off the. He was just off the left-hand side of the track, coming into those last couple of corners. And it's like, oh, if a driver spun, it's not dangerous enough for us to throw the yellow straight away whilst he's stranded there. But it is dangerous enough so that once everybody's had a chance to go around the lap, then we might have a think about it. Like, no, they really should be more decisive and just go like, look, spin, we'll do it then. Um, and they didn't, which uh, which was, of course, a little bit frustrating for everybody watching. But, um, yeah, because, I mean, even for Scott Dixon, it gave him the chance to have a go at Alex Pelot if he'd been in second. Um, to, to, I mean, he didn't have the pace of his teammate, but you know, track position is key. And if he got ahead of Pelot, who knows what might have happened? We might have had something completely different happen. But in the end, um, the, it's the way that the cookie crumbles, and uh, that's just the way that it went. Um, yeah, I don't like the call about throwing late yellows. I know that on an oval, you I mean they never do because they can't. It's impossible on a road course. You know, they try and have a little bit more leeway um, with that kind of thing, but. If a car is danger, if a car's in a pa in a space that's stranded and they're stationary and there's marshals have to go on the track, surely you should just throw the caution straight away. Um, 
but uh, there we are. Um, I guess that's uh, that's not the way that they roll. Um, we preview Laguna Seca a little bit. The 2023 championship may be done, but we have a lot of things that still need to be decided. Rookie of the year needs to be decided. It looks very much like it'll go to Marcus Armstrong, who's 26 points ahead of Augustin Canapino. But at the same time, I can feel a Canapino win coming at Laguna Seca. So, never say never. Um, rookie circle battle needs to be... Sorry, leader circle battle needs to be decided as well. Um, there, the drivers in tw or the entrants in 22nd, 23rd and 24th are all separated by five points. And uh, that's key because it's $915,000 going to the entrant team uh, that finishes in that elusive 22nd space. 169 points for the number 29. 164 points for the number 78. And 166 for the 30 car. So... It's incredibly tight there, and um, and uh, you know it's uh, it's going to be a very close one right till the end. And of course, with some people that perhaps might be leaving IndyCar, Marcus Ericsson leaving Chip Ganassi Racing wants to, wants to go out with them with a win. Roman Grosjean was so brilliant in his first ever race at Laguna Seca for Dale Coin Racing, finishing third and pulling off some incredible moves. Um, he wants to leave Andretti Autosport and possibly the series as a whole with. Uh, maiden win and also maybe you know try and force his way into a uh, a contract drive for next season as well we talk about Grosjean a little bit he's been incredibly unlucky it's almost like you make your own luck and you know there were two races at the start of the season that he could so easily have won maybe even three races Long Beach St. Pete and Barber he could so easily have won if luck had been on his side and as as and as such it, it hasn't happened and then suddenly it's gone downhill and downhill and downhill and instead of being you know a front runner and in contention for the 2023 championship he's going to be out of a seat by the end of the season he's not going back to Andretti Autosport and with seats filling up all the time he could be he could be under under real pressure. Do you not think um, this this could be it for Roman Grosjean and uh, an unfortunate way too? Yeah, I, I don't want to see Roman out of the single seater kind of universe that we live in. Um, as you said, th this weekend summarised his season so perfectly. Lap one contact, which was probably not his fault. Um, it, you, you just you, you don't want to see it, um, and you know. If it wasn't for all those incidents, who knows? We could have seen Roman Grosjean fighting it out against Alex Plo for the 2023 IndyCar Championship. But, um, you know, whilst he has been unlucky at some races, at others, he has kind of... He, he, his, he has kind of... His own errors have led to his demise. Um, that kind of errors at oval tracks kind of ring a bell very often. And, um, well... Uh, that just happens to Roman, but he definitely deserves to stay on the IndyCar grid. I feel that he, any team would be lucky to have him. He's a very, very quick driver on his day. And, um, you know, uh, this is where I say, who would you prefer, Dale Coyne Racing? I want my prediction to happen. Uh, who do you prefer, Stingray Rob finishing in P26 most weekends? Or do you like a guy who can finish on the podium most of the time or crashes out? I debate that you will have Roman Grosjean, but that's just me being me. And I think it's on that note where this is this is our final weekend of mad IndyCar predictions. You won't see James and I, well, you won't see me making any bold calls in the Predictions League anymore for 2023. Um, and that is just sad times for you as an audience.
Anyhow, um, yeah. Well, because for if for for the for the teams that are looking for Grosjean, you want a driver that gives. If you want a driver that gives ten out of ten, and if you're a smaller team and you want flashes of brilliance, why wouldn't you go for Roman Grosjean? Um, I mean, it, it just makes sense, um, and you know, I I think they really should give it a go. But um, of course, you know, he's signed part time for Lamborghini and World Endurance Championship, and of course, they might be doing that full time, which would be a shame because I do think the IndyCar series needs characters, it needs storylines, it needs people to be talked about, and less robots. And so I think I just think having Grosjean around it makes sense, and. You know, it, it's frustrating because he could so easily. If things, if Lady Luck had been on his side, this could we could be having a completely different conversation by the end of this season. But for the last time, should we do some IndyCar predictions then for the Firestone Grand Prix of Laguna Seca? That's not the official name. I think it's the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Maybe something like that. It's quite complex this weekend. But anyway, um, for pole position. Race win and for uh, most surprise of the weekend, pole position is going to go to who's been road course specialists um, over the course of this season. Scott McLaughlin has definitely been there. I backed McLaughlin for pole so many times this season. So McLaughlin's going on pole again. Um, and then for my race win, uh, I reckon that uh, it'll be Alex Pelot. Well, oh, no, I'll say Roman Grosjean. Who doesn't want a bit of a fairy tale? Roman Grosjean um, for my race win. And my surprise of the season is that Augustine Canapino wins the Rookie of the Year after scoring more than... Well, he's going to need 31 points, isn't he? Because Marcus Armstrong will guaranteed to get five. Augustine Canapino finishes second in the race and wins Rookie of the Year. Because Vamos Argentina and all that. Um, and uh, yeah, we want him in the leader circle as well so that uh, his entry comes back next year. So yeah, Canapino to win Rookie of the Year. Oh, um, well, uh, I'll just go for the most based prediction ever, which is Christian Lungard will get pole. It's a road course, so RLL might be strong. And for race winner... I'm going to say Penske show up for once at these kind of road course slash street courses, a road course this weekend. Um, I'm going to say Scotty Mack wins at the road course uh, at Laguna Seca. Um, he's he's a man who was fighting for P3 in the championship. Um, so who, who else will do that? Bold prediction of the weekend. Uh, Willpower goes this weekend without swearing. Well, we can always hope, can't we? Um, and the nice thing about Laguna Seca is... The corkscrew is the most terrifying corner you will ever see. It drops something like three or four stories straight away. It just is an unbelievably good corner. I love the corkscrew. And um, I, I mean, I love driving it on uh, on Forza Motorsport 4. And I love watching cars go through the corkscrew. It just is an unbelievable corner. And even from the onboard and from the TV cameras, it is impossible to show just how incredibly steep it is. And so it, it, it just is an unbelievable corner. So we look forward to watching cars go through the corkscrew this weekend as well. And hopefully the NTT IndyCar series can finish with a bang in 2023. Because it certainly started with one after, what was it, six cars involved in a crash at Turn 3 at St. Petersburg. And that set the tone for the rest of the year. But we will await that with anticipation as... Uh, we look forward to the final race of the season. Thanks to Taryn for joining me on this week's episode of the Single Seater Space podcast. Remember, you can find all of our content on our website, singleseaterspace.co.uk. And uh, we will see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>